The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Tech Cat here coming to you straight from Los Angeles where the weather is finally starting to cool down. And today we have a really exciting show of someone that has been a hero of mine for a long time. Um, his name is Rashad Tabakawala. Rashad is famous in the ad industry world. Um, he is currently the chief strategist for the Publicis Group, which is one of the world's largest uh, communication firms. And Rashad is also well known for pioneering innovation at Marcom companies and basically reinventing how big brands approach their business. And I, when we were doing our pre-interview, I didn't tell you the story, Rashad, but um, we spoke a couple of years ago when I was considering a gig over in your holding company and I remember pulling off to the side of the road to do the interview and then when we hung up I thought to myself well I've made it because I've spoken to Rashad <laughs> so anyway ladies and gentlemen coming to you on the Tech Cat show Mr. Rashad himself let's hear it for Rashad how are you doing you. my friend Thank you very much, Lori, and I'm doing well. I am uh, very pleased and honored to be on the show. Well, we are so excited to have you, and I think one of the things that I want to jump right into is just for you to describe your role at Publicis, because you've had a variety of different roles um, in the holding company, and it's very exciting where you are right now, kind of putting all the pieces together. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Sure. So right now, I am the chief strategist of the Publicist Group, and the Publicist Group is a large communication holding company of uh, 78,000 employees, and we have uh, several well-known companies in the creative agency space, companies like Leah Burnett and Saatchi and Saatchi, in the media space, companies like SMG and Zenith Media, and in the digital space, companies like Digitas, Razorfish, and Sapient. And my job is really threefold. One is uh, to work with the CEOs and the board, which I am on, and our overall global CEO, Maurice Levy, on determining the best strategy both for the holding company as well as for some of our individual brands so that we can remain relevant and add value to clients. The second is to identify, build, and nurture alliances and relationships with outside partners that help us achieve this strategy. And the third is to provide support to our clients on their own strategic needs, as well as to help our CEOs both uh, support and protect the revenue that our clients bring us. Oh, that is three huge responsibilities. Now, you're currently based in Chicago. Are you always on a plane? I am currently based in Chicago, and at the end of this particular uh, 
interview, I will be on a plane to New York. I uh, usually uh, travel about 140 flight segments a year. Oh, my God. And over the next four weeks, uh, it will see me in New York, Atlanta, San Francisco, in the United States, and in India, China, and France, outside the United States. Oh, my goodness. And what is your strategy for managing all of these different roles within the company? Does, do they all flow together? Or as someone who has a lot of responsibilities, have you figured out how to, a way to segment it all? They are all interconnected in the fact that the alliance is linked to the strategy and our clients are very involved and are concerned about tomorrow and transformation, which is what our strategy is about and therefore it allows me to help serve them and help serve our CEOs. Outside of that, the fact that they're interconnected, a couple of drinks every night also. <laughs> well, and, and in terms of transformation, what does that exactly mean for, for an advertising agency right now? Because all I'm hearing from a lot of my colleagues is that the agency model is dead and they're having to reinvent themselves. So what is transformation looking like for you? So, you know, let me start with the agency model being dead. The agency has been for many years, for at least 20 years, been called a dinosaur. And I believe agencies are not dinosaurs, they are cockroaches. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by cockroaches is we sort of, we're not necessarily loved, maybe we sometimes are even despised, but we tend to scurry around, figure out what goes on, and then, uh, you know, reinvent ourselves, which is absolutely right. Um, and over the 20 years where we were supposed to have disappeared, we grew, we uh, became larger, we added more value to our clients, we added new capabilities. However, the, today we are in a particularly interesting time, and that is because two things have happened. One is the individual, which is the consumer, member, customer, person, is truly, truly empowered. And they've not been empowered by anybody but by technology. So if you think about you and me at home, we are like David, and technology is like the slingshot that is allowing us to bring down Goliath. And Goliath are established business models, large marketers, and could be even large agencies. So as a result of this, uh, most of our clients have fallen behind their customer. And that requires them to transform it requires us to transform ourselves to help them transform. The second really is the opportunities and threats to any particular industry now comes from outside of it. So, you know, the real arch enemy of a Nikon is not necessarily Canon, but Apple. Uh, similarly, the real competitor to Mercedes is not BMW, but Uber. And therefore, clients don't even know who their competitors are anymore. So this is truly a transformational time, and what we have to do as a business or as an industry is find a way to, again, become relevant to our clients, as well as to understand who our potential future and current competitors are. And that is why, at least for us at the Publicist Group, we've decided that what we would like to bring to the party is help in communication, marketing, and business transformation which is a combination of organizational redesign, new mindsets and new skill sets to help our clients catch up to their, to their customer and offset 
as well as take advantage of new competitive opportunities. I know that one of the things that you were um, telling me about was that um, Publicis recently bought Sapient. And for those of you that don't know, Sapient is known as a, a tech company, or at least even for to regular people, they understand Sapient as being a company that does a lot of back end and a lot of you know, technology infrastructure. So is that part of this transformation strategy to bring that tech inside? Absolutely. Well, what happened is the our belief is the future uh, clients will require a combination of marketing services, which we have a lot of, uh, technology services, which we had some of inside Razorfish and LBI, and consulting services, which we had very limited amount of. What Sapient did is it brought us 15,000 additional skilled people. Wow. And those 15,000 skilled people are primarily buttress us in technology and in consulting it's because they have about 3,000 consultants. So now we have about 3,000 consultants, about 22 to 24,000 technology people, and about 45,000 marketing services people to bring up the total of 78,000. So now at scale, we can offer where those three connect. And it is a big bet, and that is how we are transforming ourselves. So literally in the last 10 years, the publicist group has gone from having no consultants to and almost no technology uh, to basically having 30,000 people out of our 78,000 people in that. Uh, and what, what does it mean when you say consultant? Because I obviously call myself a consultant. So what, what is your definition of that? Because I think that that's also a word, a title that, you know, gets thrown about a lot. Yeah, so there are three different types of consultants. There are consultants who basically are corporate strategy consultants, sort of like a McKinsey. Got it. Who consult with the boardroom. Uh, we are not that. Uh, McKinsey is that, and uh, we neither have the credibility nor the skill set, and neither, to a great extent, does uh, Sapient. A second type of consultant is basically a consultant who is usually a 1, 2, 15, 20 person operation that helps clients in particular niches. It could be everything from uh, salary consultants to compensation consultants to consultants on how to organize your travel department, right, or marketing consultants. Then there's a third group of consultants who are who help clients rethink their business model and also architect the underlying technology and other services necessary to achieve that. And that is where I would say a Deloitte Digital, an Accenture Digital, and a Sapient play. That's something we're talking about. And because if you think about marketing as being built upon communication and communication changing dramatically, it basically means businesses change and that sort of, and it's changing primarily because of the internet and other technologies. So that's the kind of consulting we want to bring to the party. And then the technology side obviously can mean many different things as well. It could mean backend, it could mean hardware, software. Um, is, that, is that the complete yeah, so, sort of spectrum? Yeah, so what we are basically focusing on is very much about how to rejigger the system uh, of a company to be both more productive, to basically be externally friendly, 
and to be closer to customers yep. and uh, become more efficient. What we do not do is we work with specific, so what we would say is here is a platform. So think of us as platform consultants that sort of create the platform, but we are not necessarily the sellers of hardware or the sellers of software. Uh, there we partner very closely in the case of software with Adobe, for instance, and Salesforce, among others. Yeah, and that's a really great key distinction because I know a lot of the agencies in the past have acted very threatened by the Salesforces and the Adobes, but the truth is that you need to partner with them in order to move through this crazy space. Yes, and in fact, you know, we are, I would say, among the top three, if not the top, um, revenue partner of Adobe in the world. Wow. So Adobe and us are extremely close. Your buddies. And, and, <laughs> yes. And, and, and you know, as, as well as Salesforce. And uh, in fact, at the end of next week, um, and which is the end of September, we are going to be putting together, you know, 350 of our senior most people together in San Francisco at an event where we're sort of going to be talking about your transformation strategy. And, uh, you know, not surprisingly, um, the CEOs of both those companies will be there. Well, that is very exciting. And I'd love to talk to you about what I experienced at Dreamforce as well, which was Salesforce's big event last week. But when right. we come back, we're going to dig more in with Rashad. And we're going to hear also about um, organizational change and career management, because I know you've been doing a lot of writing and blogging and tweeting about career management and a lot of folks are turning to you for guidance in this disruptive time so we'll be back soon Great When it comes to business you'll find the experts here Voice America Business Network Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. All right, and we are back with the fabulous Rashad Bakawala from Publicist Group, who's their chief strategist. And uh, Rashad has a blog called The Re- the Reinventing. Is that correct? Yes. And it's all about, uh, well, it's about a lot of different things, whatever you're really talking about at the time that relates to the marketing industry. But one of your, the big topics and trends that you're talking about right now is career management because disruption is not only happening to the companies, but it's happening to the humans at the company. So what's your stance right now on how people should move through this crazy time? To a great extent, one of the reasons I've been thinking about it is we are sometimes forgetting that in a world of technology and silicon, that really most companies are about carbon-based life forms. Yeah. And it's very easy to basically, you know, talk about we will bring in technology, but unless the technology replaces the people, you still got the people. Right, right. And even if you find ways to sort of replace them, and, and in many ways... Outside of that, too, a lot of people have been sort of asking, um, you know, what do we do as we sort of uh, navigate our career? And I thought about it, and I've been in business for 34 years, and I sort of wrote this blog about the 10 lessons that I have learned. And the reason I think it hit a nerve is for three separate reasons. The first is it uses English, and it actually uses a real career versus some sort of mumbo-jumbo, you know, uh, experts uh, who talk about things that don't make any sense. Right, you're, t- you're pulling from your actual career. Right. Second is it actually r- r- understands that career advice needs to change based on the phase of the career that you are in. So if you are younger, there is a certain form of career advice, which actually is very different than what I would give someone who is mid-career or older career. And the third is it runs counter to a lot of what the books tell you. So it's the reason I think it hit a nerve is what the books tell you and what I was saying were almost 180 degrees different. And for instance, you know, the book basically say when you come out of school, you want to basically think really hard and find your dream job that you can align with and be very happy. I basically say when you come out of school, you need to find the least sucky job you can. (laughs) Okay? Yes. And that's for two reasons. First is you have to be crazy to actually believe that outside of certain very narrow categories, like maybe high-powered software engineering or something like that, that you are actually in a seller's market when you come out of school. You are not. It is a buyer's market. Right. Right? The second is when you come out of school to think that you know what you're going to do with your career and you're going to find the ideal job is ridiculous. 
And the third is when you come out of school and you join a company, you are the lowest of the low and all the shit jobs in a company fall to you. So find the least sucky job you can, which basically means have a sense of perspective and don't have a delusion that you're going to basically have Mark Zuckerberg or CEO like power when you come out of school. The second is it really doesn't matter what company you join. What matters is the industry you join. So, for instance, you could join the best company in typewriting or the worst company in social media. The worst company in social media will probably be better to join than the, worst, than the best company in typewriting. Right. So, <laughs> a, to a certain extent, you, you need to have a trend. The third is, unfortunately, in a world of Snapchat and instantaneous gratification, a lot of people are forgetting that they are going to work for at least 50 years. Or not at least, more likely they're likely to work for 50 years. Right, right. So therefore, you need to plan your career in five-year chunks and not five-month chunks and not five-week chunks, right? And so people basically say, oh, nothing has happened over the last three months. I'm going to quit. I said, hey, think about three, four, five years, not, you know, three, four, five months. And finally, there is this odd belief that we're living in a world of, you know, when you put on television, everything is basically a live celebrity show, whether it is brides of something, apprentice of something, dancing with somebody or the other. <laughs> yeah. The truth is it makes you want to compete with everybody. And the idea is don't compete with other people, compete with yourself, which is how do you get yourself better? So those are some of my early advice, which has worked out. And then, you know, in the middle years, you do a different things because there you, there the boss you choose becomes very important Making sure that you, by that time, have your passion is important. And about then is when you start building a brand. Because, like, in the middle career, the word of mouth, reputation, and your particular niche begins to matter. And then finally, at the later parts of your career, um, you know, there are two very simple things. You have to sort of unlearn because now you've learned so much stuff that it has become actually irrelevant. And the biggest part in the later part of career where people struggle is they don't realize that their industry has changed because a couple of decades have passed. In the marketing world, Lori, you know, yeah. some of the smartest people that we work with 10 or 12 years ago seem to have frozen in time. They're not a dinosaur. They're not a cockroach. They seem to be some sort of thing stuck in amber, right? And right, right. And the other is also to start thinking about your post-career career and have a combination of starting to do some consulting, start giving back aggressively, start teaching. So that is what I think I've advised people, which is a combination of rea re being realistic, of continuously investing in education and rethinking things, and also giving back. Gosh, I wish I had uh, spoken to you during uh, those parts of my career. <laughs> it would have been very helpful. But here's my question for you, because I know a lot of my colleagues also, and I've, I've been in this situation over the years too. There's this fear of millennials right now, of managing millennials, of a you know, 25-year-old digital guy showing up and taking your job, even though you have years of experience. So there's this sort of, you know, boomer Gen X fear of the millennial. Is that founded or is that just part of the hype right now? You know, I tell you, the, the, first of all, I believe what it is, is not necessarily the millennials. What it is, is when a millennial walks into your office, you start thinking that this is about technology and it actually isn't. 
is basically about a person who is comfortable, more comfortable than you are usually, and obviously these are generalizations, but they're more comfortable than you are in a world where authenticity matters. In a world where they're asking, what purpose am I doing this job for? What purpose do you serve? And a, and a group of people who have a certain sense of impatience, but also a transparency, a need for transparency. So what happens is we have grown up in a world where we could succeed bullshitting people. That was right. inauthentic. Right. Right. We really didn't care about any purpose excepting let's make some money and have fun. Right. And as far as transparency was concerned, we really didn't care that much as long as we had some idea and we tried to arbitrage information as power. However, in a networked age, that doesn't work. People can Google stuff and get information. You can be caught by being inauthentic because all these people talk to each other. So you could talk to two different people and tell one person you think yellow is a great color and the other blue is a great color. Five seconds later, they'll say you're a liar because you told two people two different things. That, which is, you are looking at people who were not in a networked world with a networked environment and a networked mindset, getting very scared about these folks. The, and, and it's not about technology, it's just about a mindset. And so my suggestion to people is to do two things. One is, don't lie. Right, right. right. Second is start learning and talking with these people and you'll find that they're just like you, they're human beings with some skills and with some fears. And the third is if your job is one that can be easily replaced by them or replaced by a machine, quickly learn additional things and additional value that you can add because it will be replaced by them or by a machine. There's nothing that can stop it because the reality of Darwinian economics is if someone can find someone who can do things cheaper, they will. If someone can replace you with a machine, they will. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk about above the API and below the API and the fact that, you know, jobs are going to be eliminated by code and by robotics. Do you buy into that? Is that something that we should all be worried about? No, not really. I would say that there is a, for instance, I think net, the net, I I believe in this uh, the best book on this is a book called The Second Machine Age, uh, written by a couple of MIT professors. And they hypothesize, and I do believe that's true, that in the near term, there may be some overall job losses, but over time, things should stabilize. The problem simply is there'll be certain groups of people who are more likely to suffer and other groups of people who are likely to succeed. The people who are likely to suffer are people who are who satisfy the following two criteria. Their jobs can be automated away easily. You know, first it used to basically be the tellers. Now you see it, everything from the toll booth operators to even these the clerks in supermarkets. Yeah, you, humans are gone, it seems, at right. all these places. Yeah. So any of those, and those people are suffering. But the reason why they're particularly suffering is they also have not had the opportunity, right? It's not that they're lazy. They've not had the opportunity to invest in learning new skills. Mm. So what tends to basically happen is it's the man with the machine or the woman with the machine, no longer the woman against the machine. 
So you want to do a job where you add value to what the machine does or you do something that the machine cannot do, like massage therapy. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. But, but, but to a great extent, if your job is directly in line of fire of a machine, you must learn new skill sets that you can either work alongside it or leave the industry. But that requires training. That requires investment. And in, in reality, the crisis in the United States about inequality is not just the inequality of income. It's the inequality of opportunity. Right. Well, when listen, when we come back, more on that. And also, I want to dig into a little bit about where you go to, to learn and to keep up your own skills and also to socialize some of these ideas because there are so many great events out there, so many things to read, and people I know often feel really overwhelmed. So we'll be back in a bit with Rashad and the Tech Cat. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying, but when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune in to Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increase margins, listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Business. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, folks. We are back, and we are talking with Rashad from Publicis, who's the chief strategist there. And Rashad has the, the fortune to go to a lot of fabulous conferences and be at a lot of fabulous places with great minds. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about 
the trade shows and the events and just the, the people that you surround yourself with to really share all these great insights. I mean, what, what are some of your, your favorite um, events to go to? And I know a lot of them are even outside of the sort of marketing category. Uh, yeah, so within, uh, within the world of events, I tend to basically go to six events a year. Three of them have to do with the marketing category. Uh, sometimes I don't get to all three. One is the consumer electronics show. But the difference is I actually spend at least a day walking the floor. Right. Versus just having meetings. And we got to hang out this year. Then. Yes. So that is one that's very important. The second is um, I go to D-Mexico, which I did not go this year, which is actually the world's largest ad tech show. And it is pretty incredible. It's in Cologne, Germany. Um, and the third one is in France, which is obviously the Cannes uh, Ad Festival. Uh, and those three uh, are, to me, the sort of the three tentpole events um, in the space. Um, outside is also where I go to three other things where I have an opportunity to learn a lot. Uh, the first is I go to the, the TED uh, conference in Vancouver. Uh, and that one is particularly compelling because you get to spend five days listening to some of the most exciting and interesting people. And while you could do that at TED.com, uh, you don't spend five days doing it, you know, watching it on video just by being there in the event. Uh, the second is I'm fortunate that I get to go to Davos, uh, and that is in January, and that is really about world affairs and a bunch of other things. And the nice thing about TED and Davos is for all practical purposes, uh, I find that uh, everybody in there is three times smarter and four times more famous. So it basically <laughs> makes sure that if for any moment you got a big head, you know, it is brought down to size and miniaturized nicely. Now, Davos, do you get invited to? I know, Ted, you, you get on a list if you submit yourself, and, and it's fairly expensive. Is, it, is that how it still works? Yes, that still works that way, which you, you have to be invited and admitted, and then if they decide they like you, you can get invited again. Um, so it's a, it's a little, and it's expensive. So that's, uh, for Davos, it's even more selective and even more expensive. In the case of Davos, the actual event, the Davos event, is run by Publicis Life. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Uh, so we don't own the event, but we run it and organize it. And Publicis has been a strategic partner of Davos for many years. So we basically, at the corporate level, get five invitations. And for the last two or three years, Maurice Levy has basically given me one of those, which doesn't mean it'll stay that way forever, but uh, that's the way we get to go. Wow, and that that is mind blow. I mean, people always talk about Davos like it's this, the holy grail of all all things, right? You know, it's and it's to me, it's always existed in the clouds. Like I never understand: is it a physical place you go to? Yeah, and, yeah, you know. and it, it is that. And what happens is there's a, you know, on my blog, the reinventing blog, I actually wrote what happens at Davos, and that was one of my most popular postings because people said oh my god you actually now explain what goes on there right right i have to check it out i mean right. I've, I've always wondered right and so that's sort of and then my sixth one is always a random one 
which depends on something that comes up that's exciting or interesting, and I show up there. Spontaneously. Yeah. So I, I, t- I tend to basically budget time for five of these and then a sixth one because it is exciting. So, for instance, I was going to go, but there became a conflict. Uh, I was going to go to uh, Tel Aviv in Israel uh, on October 14th, and I was doing a keynote at a massive conference there called Journey. It's the Ernst & Young big conference. It's a one-day conference with 2,000 people. And as you know, Israel is outside of Silicon Valley, the sort of startup capital, yep, the yep. startup nation. Um, and I'd been to Tel Aviv for some work in June, and they'd invited me for this. But at the very last moment, I had to drop out because of a massive new business, which I have to be aware of. But so I try to do something like that, one that I've never done before in a country that is not in Europe or the United States. And when you're this, this was something that I struggled with at the IPG lab and, and subsequently. When you have, in, in a sense, an innovation role, um, is there, and maybe now because you're in this other role and you're where you are in your career, but there's sometimes moments where you get pulled into the weeds of client work and then you're not able to continue to be on the path of when you are, you know, surfacing up, surfacing all this, this uh, great information that will actually impact the company. So taking what you learned at TED, at Davos, appearing at Cannes and the CES and being able to, you know, turn that information in, into gold for the rest of the company. Does that still happen to you? Do you see that as a challenge for folks that are charged with innovation? You know, it, 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 it continues to be a challenge, but it is a, it's something that you... So the reason why I schedule these things at the beginning of the year and my calendar is blocked, and they are pretty much sort of sacrosanct. So because I know those dates are those dates, I can tell everybody months and months in advance, right? No, I'm just letting you know that dates don't work, right? And because many of those are industry dates, like TED or Davos, Davos at least for my boss is an industry date, I get support on that. So at least I get those five. The problem really is not the meeting with the clients, which I think is very important, because sometimes even with client work, you begin to learn what is actually bothering them and what the real things are. Right. Because one has to be very careful. Clients like people who come in with new thinking, they do not like people who come with new thinking that is not relevant to their business. Got, got it. So it has to be contextual. So just because it, it, you're, you're Mr. Innovation doesn't really it, impact yeah. them. Got because it. unless you can land the plane, and so to a great extent, the fact that you have occasionally worked and you continue to work with clients is one of the reasons why I, at least every year, actually lead uh, as much as one can lead. Uh, you know, a couple of major new business pitches each year. Yep. yep. Uh, because, because in effect, I get to not only understand what the client needs, but I get to understand the difference between what we could deliver and what we can deliver. Right, right. I, and I know what you mean, too, because you can, you know, the stuff that I struggle with now is I can continue to speak about things, but the truth is it's in the consulting work that my speaking has more value. So you actually have to be a doer as well as a speaker. Yeah, exactly. And so what tends to basically happen is many of these cases, there's a specific thing and then you go in with a team and you play a role in the team. And so you're actually answering a very specific question. And does your phone and email just ring 
all the time from various folks within the holding company or, you know, has that channel sort of filtered out to just very sort of set of C-suites at the various companies? Because really Publicis now is made up of so many major companies. Um, so who taps you the most? Well, there, you know, there's a different group of people. There are different groups of people. Obviously, the C-level, which basically would be the chief executive officers of our 10 major brands, and they're usually their North American leadership and their European leadership, uh, because still businesses like ours are about 75, 80%, you know, Western. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, so they would as one group. The other is actually account heads who basically find that they have a particular issue, so they will call me and say, can you help us on this client or, the, or, or that client. That's sort of a second group of people who, who basically do. And, and a third group, which I, which I find particularly uh, you know, fascinating, is clients themselves. Oh, okay. And so what happens is clients basically, because you know, prior to this corporate role and other roles, I used to work on businesses where I had clients, Right. And so what tends to happen is a client will call and say, hey, I would like you to help us with something like this. And then I will say, okay, can we now, could you send that request through to this CEO, right, which is the CEO who you're supposed to be calling, and just say, yes, we'll chat. And we'll chat right now, but I need the CEO to know because I'm not going to work directly with you. And the reason I don't want to work directly with them, not that nobody tells me I can't, is because I'm no good on the follow-up and I need our brands to help follow up because of I'm one person. Right, right, right. Across multiple countries and agencies. And so a client, when they talk with me, will sometimes think, okay, you used to always follow up and work with me all the time and I have to explain to them, while I will try to do as much as I can, in reality, my time constraints don't allow me. Right, right. So therefore, I need someone from their brand that they've hired to help me make sure that they do not get disappointed. So you set expectations up at the front that that your role has evolved and that you're in this, you know, sort of layer layer now, which I think, you know, um, I think that a lot of folks who have similar roles like you don't do, and that's where you have clients who say, well, I thought I bought this, you know? Yeah, yeah. and, and so it's, it's what's very, very careful is that what we do is it's in only the, the most unique elements does a client actually believe that I'm allocating time to their business. Right, right. And, and the reason also is because I am absolutely free, okay? Yes. So what tends to happen is when I go to a client and I spend a day or two, we don't charge them for that day or two. We don't charge them for the airfare. We don't charge them for anything. Because you know, as if once you started charging them specifically, they will basically expect you to show up all the time. Right, right, right. Smart. And we we can't basically do that. That makes sense. So I'm not going to be charged for this interview, is what you're saying. You will not be charged for the interview. In fact, <laughs> I should pay you because you are going to make me famous. <laughs> all right. Well, when we come back, we're going to wrap up with Rashad and talk a little bit about the technology that's turning you on. It could be consumer stuff. And also, where can we read, see, and hear from you um, in the near future? So we'll be back soon with Rashad and the Tech Cat. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. Okay, and we are wrapping up our fantastic conversation with Rashad Tabakawala's Chief Strategist for the Publicist Group. And Rashad, I wanted to know, like, what technology, consumer or whatever, is really turning you on right now? Like, do you have any favorite new gadgets or are there any platforms that you're using in your personal life that you are really blown away by? Uh, I would say that right now, um, oddly, the, the thing that I'm finding the most compelling is an old form of technology. It's actually a desktop computer. Ah, but it is the iMac with a 5K Retina screen. Ah, okay. Um, and I basically got one at home, and then I convinced the company that I needed to have one at work. And, uh, you know, it is, um, with all the latest, you know, whether it's uh, Office 2016 and everything else, and it's quite incredible how it makes almost all the other technology look obsolete. Ultra fast, ultra beautiful stuff, which is which is one. The second is I do enjoy the Samsung Note Mm, Five, which is what I have along with an iPhone, so I use both technologies. And the one that I'm really looking forward to is the iPad Pro. Right. So those those are what I'm sort of looking forward to. Do you feel? Sorry, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say you feel like uh, like I do that you have to to understand Android and Apple and a variety of operating systems right now just to understand what's going on sort of in the consumer base? Yeah, so, you know, I would say that the future operating systems of the world are going to be iOS and Android and then to a lesser extent OS and Windows. Right, right, right. Okay, and so, and if you leave the United States, you begin to realize how dominant we are living in an Android world. Right. Uh, And uh, there are a lot of developers outside the United States 
and there's a company that I'm on the board of that only uh, creates apps for Android, doesn't even create apps for iOS. So the U.S. is sort of this Apple fandom culture, but if you uh, if you ever get a chance to attend Mobile World Congress, which is one of my favorite shows to go to, it's yeah. so clear, you know, especially in developing countries, because you have a cheap hand handset, and then anything can work on it. It is. I mean, if you if you think about it, you know, I think that the total amount that are sold every quarter by um, Apple, I think they sell about. Uh, 22 million phones every quarter. Uh, so I think they've sold about a 250 million iPhones, if wow. I'm correct. Yeah. yeah. In the course of between January of 2014 and December of 2015, the Indian smartphone market will go from 8 million to 250 million smartphones. Wow. Yep. And out of those 240 million will be Android. So the Indian Android uptake is bigger than Apple's worldwide production. Yeah, it's um it's that's a crazy comparison when you think about it and if you don't leave the US, you can't even imagine that, right? Because we're so Apple centric here. Even if you're on an Android, you almost feel slightly oppressed here. Right. You know, um and I know when my friends whip out Android devices, because I'm fairly Apple in terms of my personal use, and then I, I have um, a lot of Samsung devices just to professionally, um, you know, be adept. But um, I always kind of judge them in my head a little bit. I'll tell you, the, the, the stuff is, if when I put out my Samsung Galaxy Note with an iPhone 6 Plus, which is what I've got, the Samsung Galaxy Note is in every single way a better product. Yeah, yep. Because they've actually fixed the design and other issues. It's beautiful to hold. Everything is perfect. The problem still is that the iOS software is slightly better. Right, right, right. But for me, why I need both is primarily because I use other devices which are on the OS. And and it's much easier for all my devices to connect using the Apple world. And so I think Apple will be very successful. But somewhere along, Apple is trying to become no longer the computer for the rest of us or the technology for the rest of us is becoming the technology for the 1%. Right, right, which is, which is the, you know, clear on the gold watch. And, yeah, and, yeah, and there's a very big difference between design. You know, design is what they used to be. Yep. They're not trying to become luxury. The problem with is design lives forever. Luxury comes and goes. Right, 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 right. Smart. Yeah, I have. I bought the cheapest Apple Watch because I didn't care about that part of it. I wanted to experience the, you know, the user interface and the the uh, basically what it would bring to my life. You know, um, I didn't. I just I'm happy with a plain leather band. You know, um, so it's it's that's a really good point because people now seem to be struggling with where Apple is going as a company. Um, and I know I was just talking to you um, about the um, the Amazon Echo and bringing in these other products in your house that, you know, are different from those two operating systems, but just bring value and are interesting and are developing other lifestyle patterns. Yeah, so I think you know, Apple will be, continue to be very successful because they seem to be going into this three types of operating systems, which is an operating system for variables, an operating system for television, and an operating system for cars. Uh, 
And so that's where they're sort of, and with the phone being in the center, you know, connecting those three. Right. And it'll be primarily North American and United Kingdom. And the rich people in other parts of the world, and they, they don't care about everything else, which is an okay strategy because they make a whole bunch of profit. But at some particular stage, it is very far away from basically David versus Goliath when Goliath not only in market cap, but in mindset becomes Goliath. Right. That's very interesting. What about China, though? Is China going to be an Apple country or is it going to be an economic sort of like the, you know, the third world and that it will go Android? So China is, uh, you know, increasingly and is, I think, about to become, uh, is already the second biggest, if not the biggest market for Apple. It is very, I go there every quarter. Apple continues to be the lusted after product. The issue really at some particular stage is the price difference between like what is Xiaomi and the new Xiaomi products and Apple is so big that a lot of people at some stage may think of people who buy an Apple as someone who is only buying it to show how much money they have. Right, right. And, and you know, it's just like when somebody who wears an Apple Gold watch is not a sign of elegance. It's a sign of being an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. The culture has really shifted yeah. um, to, to that attitude. Well, we're going to wrap out in a moment, but um, uh, where, where are you next that we can maybe hear from you? I know we have your, your blog that you're constantly publishing on, which is uh, the Reinventing blog. And where else can we find you? You know, I think the, the three places, I mean, the, in, in the public world, it's basically at Rashad, which is Twitter. So when I read and learn about interesting things, I put it on Twitter. Uh, so that's at Rashad. Uh, you know, professionally, I kind of uh, accept almost everybody accepting serial murderers as, as connections <laughs> on, on LinkedIn, right? And, uh, and then I'm a photographer, and uh, I, tr- I would like to be a photographer and writer. Uh, and so I sort of show off my photography on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. And on Instagram, yeah. And I love, on Instagram, love I'm Rashad T. But most of the places, it's, uh, you know, just at Rashad. And, uh, you know, as I said, the next place I'm showing up tonight is I'm going off to New York, which I'll come back tomorrow. But, uh, you know, sort of around the world. But, uh, you know, I've, uh, what I've always told people is your resume is what shows up on the first page of Google. So type that in and you can figure it out. That's right. Well, um, I love reading your blog, and it is such an honor to get to talk to you. you you've always been a hero, and um, I think people will really enjoy all the insights that you've dropped here and continue to drop in your varishing, uh, various publishing domains. So thank you so much, Rashad Tabakawala, the Chief Strategist for Publicists. Looking forward to hearing, seeing, reading more about all the things that you are doing. And all of us uh, will, take, will take note and do a little uh, reinventing ourselves. Ladies thank and gentlemen, this is Lori Schwartz, the Tech Cat. Thank you, Rashad, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Lori. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 